All right, guys. So here we are. Uh, we kind of find ourselves today uh, in the middle of... No, <laughs> that's wrong. At the end of our series. Um, I was almost said the end of our new series. It's like eight weeks old now. Uh, the end of our series on the Bible and politics. And I don't know about you, um, but I've had a good time. Um, right? It's been great. Uh, no, we've, we've, I mean, honestly, we've taken a hard look at the things that God has to say in Scripture that should inform our political opinions, behaviors, actions. Remember, here's, here's a couple of just quick things I want to remind you about as we, as we move to close up this series, um, and it simply is this. As unpopular of a message as this might be in the world that we live in, you are not that important. I mean, you're important to me. I care about you. I like you. God has bigger, bigger plans. Now, you're important to God. But I, see, I, I'm gonna, you're going to walk away and you're going to be like, man, Pastor Matt said that God doesn't care about me. Did I say that? I didn't say that. Okay? But your freedoms, your rights, your protections, your safety, your security, your feelings are absolutely secondary to the mission that God has given us. Remember, we serve as ambassadors to the one that sent us. We, we drilled down on that when we read in 2 Corinthians 5. I'll encourage you to go back and, and live there a little bit as we go. But we have work to do. We don't live here. We are stationed here. We are ambassadors of God's grace. We are to be distributors of God's grace. We are to speak for God when we talk to people. We are to say on God's behalf, come back to God when we reason to people. We are secondary to the mission. I need you to drill down on that and I need you to understand that because as we've worked through this series, everything we've talked about comes and it flows from this idea that we owe our absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's more important than anything else. That's not new. We've talked about it, but we have to get it. We are absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ, and that informs everything that we do in ministry, in our family, in our life, in our work, and absolutely in our politics. They can't be separated. Okay, and so as we come to the end of this series, uh, we have another one of these topics centers around some questions that you've asked, uh, and, and they all have to do, uh, basically, when we drill it down, to how do we handle those that society would consider the least of these, okay? And um, there's good news for us. Um, scripture has told us a lot about how we're supposed to interact with and how we're supposed to handle and what we're supposed to do with those that are considered the least of these. So we're going to get into that, and as always, we'll, we'll break this down into a couple of ways. We'll look, one, at what Scripture has to say, and then we'll look at the practical political application as we, as we wrap up the series. Okay, but let's drill down here. First of all, read this. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, 
the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Of course, who knows what that's from? It's from the Statue of Liberty, right? That's, that's on a plaque on the Statue of Liberty. And so when we read that, do you know what you're reading there? Okay, you're reading something biblical. Now, I don't mean like you're reading from the Bible. Um, what's this lady's name? Emma Lazarus. She's not a scripture writer, right? She's not in this book, but you're reading something biblical. You're reading something there about the willingness of a nation to be open to those that would be considered the least of these. I mean, think about that. If that's not the least of these, then I don't know who uh, would count. Uh, You're tired. You're poor. You're huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Wretched refuse. Think about this now. So as a nation, you know, we start thinking about some of the big questions that you have politically, things that get down to the idea of what do we do with those that are the least of these. Um, Now, you're never going to get me to agree with you that that America is a a Christian nation. I'm sorry. Um, That that ship has kind of sailed. I'm not sure that ship was ever actually in port to be really honest with you. If you go back and really look at some of our founding fathers, they may have been um, theists. They believed in God, but by and large, they were not all Christian men. But our nation has been founded on this idea of, okay, and this idea of how we treat the least of these. And so there's something really, really important about this that we understand heritage-wise as we get into Scripture today. And so we're going to look at this, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, That's the one. Score. Uh, In Matthew 25, uh, we're going to look at verses uh, 31 all the way um, through, oh gosh, I think we're going to make it all the way to 38. Okay, by the time we're done, no, 40 even. All right, so let's do this here together. We'll break this apart. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. So right now we get a picture. I'm just going to break this down for you here. This is something you should know, just getting into this, that we're talking about a future time right? This is something that has to do with end times. I'm going to use a fancy word. You can write it down and then repeat it in front of your friends and sound awesome. Don't do that. It doesn't work, okay? Um, But this is eschatological. This has to do with eschatology. Eschatology is the fancy way we say end times. Why do we say eschatology? Because we like to sound smart, right? Okay, but this has to do with end times. This is later. This is actually something that we should be yearning for, We should be desirous of this. This is what John says at the end of the book of Revelations. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is something we want sooner rather than later. Look, agree with me. I hope that the world is jacked up. I mean, is there anybody? I mean, let's do it now. Let's have this debate because I think it'll be quick. Anybody here want me to believe that the world is not jacked up? I know. Like you're going to raise your hand now. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was probably an unfair way for me to say that. You come talk to me later. The world's jacked up. This is broken. This doesn't work. We read in Scripture that there will be a time in the future where it will get fixed, where it will be right, where everything is going to work the way that God has intended it to work. This is a picture of that. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, sitting on the throne in his glory. This is coming. We should be excited for this. I don't know about you, but this is my retirement plan. So come on, let's get here. 
And here's what will happen. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. Okay, now, don't let that sneak by you either. Every nation will be represented. Every nation. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from his goat. Of course, that shouldn't surprise us either, because we've been hearing all through the Gospels, all through Scripture, about how Jesus is the good shepherd, and his sheep know his voice, and his sheep follow. And so we come and we see this picture of the returning Christ coming in glory with his angels and sitting on his throne. Everything will be made new, and he comes in front of every nation, and and he rules. And here's the first thing he does. He separates. He moves to one side, the sheep, the righteous, those that follow, and to the other side, the goats. In this instance, I'm not sure why we're mad at goats, but he moves them over here, the unrighteous, those that don't follow, perhaps the pretenders. And he makes this grand statement here. And so here's what we're going to get into. He makes this, he says, those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me, and I was in prison, and you visited me. And it's fairly straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. So Jesus, now, second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, God in flesh, has returned once and for all to judge evil. By the way, that's happening. Okay, that's going to happen. Drill down on that. Right? God came once to bring, or God sent Jesus. Jesus, God incarnate in flesh, came to bring and offer salvation to those that would choose to submit and follow him. Okay? That's the age that we live in. It's the age of grace where we, that's because we are on mission, right, as the church. Remember, we're not all that important when it comes down to the mission. Right? We've got work to do. We are distributors of the grace of God. We speak for God when we tell people, come back to God. This is a big deal. Okay? That's what we do here. Okay? And, and this is the age of grace. But Jesus will come again, and it won't be nice. Jesus will come again, but not to bring forgiveness. Jesus will come again to bring justice. And those of you that are clamoring for justice, it's coming. Not yet, but it's coming. Those of you that are so confused about why evil and things happen in this world, because it's not time yet, but it's coming, okay? And so we work in the midst of that, but this is what's happening. This is come. He comes, he conquers, and, and part of the conquering is now the judgment that's, that's separating the wheat from the chaff, separating the sheep from the goats, the believers from those that pretended or just never even cared. And he says, look, you guys come with me to the place that's been prepared, right? Now, remember, this is why Jesus said he was going. 
Remember all the way back in John, uh, he says, you know what, I'm going, and it's better that I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are plenty of rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll come back. This is him coming back, and so he says to the sheep, I got your room already. We're good to go. And you know why I've got your room already? Because I was sick, and you helped me, and I was poor, and and you gave to me, and I was hungry, and you fed me, and I was naked, and you gave me clothes, and I was in prison, and you visited me, and all of these things. And so, therefore, it makes good common sense that we would know where these people are, except there's, there's a little catch. And the catch is that none of these people did that for Jesus. And so here's what they'll say. They'll say, I mean, talk about looking a gift horse in the mouth, right? I mean, I think here, here's a good, listen, uh, this isn't like a word from the Lord or anything. It just makes good common sense to me. If Jesus says, or says, hey, good for you, you get to come in with me. Thank you is what you want to say. Awesome. Don't question. But that's what they do. They're like, okay, um, but, but God, Jesus, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? It's like they're trying to talk themselves out of a trip to heaven. Come on. It's Bush League. Here's what they said. When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty or give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Okay? And so this is the issue is they're going to say, okay, God, this doesn't make sense to me. When in the world has this ever happened? And, and the answer here is interesting. And this is what we really need to, to drill into. Okay, this is what really has something for us, especially when we think about our behavior and when we think about the political policies that we endorse. Okay, is this transitive property that Jesus shares. Jesus will say, look, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. See, we need to let that sink in for a second. Because this is Jesus saying, as he comes to judge and separate, he's saying, you did these things for me. So you are blessed by my Father, and you are in the kingdom that's been prepared. When I left to prepare a room, I prepared it for you, and it's here. And they're saying, but God, no, we we never did those things. And he's saying, yes, you did. When you did it for the least of these people, you did it for me. There's this transitive property that we have to get on board with. There's this understanding that we have to drill down on. Okay? Now, there's a couple things we have to deal with there. First of all, um, some of you, I love you, but you want to have a theological debate right now. You want to talk about who these brothers and sisters are, the least of these brothers and sisters. You're like, we got to talk about that, Matt, because I don't think that's talking about who you think it's talking about. Okay? And there's, there, you know, there's a good theological debate. Who exactly is Jesus referring to, the least of these brothers and sisters? And there's usually three stances on that. We'll, we'll do it real quick here just because it's fun. Um, you know, one of those is Jews, that this is referring to Jews that are left alive at the end times. Okay? Um, it's an eschatological viewpoint. It has to do with whether or not you're very dispensationalist or not. You can look those words up later. They're not important right now. Okay? I will tell you that I would believe in Scripture that that is a... That's the case. Okay, talking to Jews that are still alive at the end of the tribulation that, are, that, are, um, that have made it through that um, would, at that point, be, be Jewish believers. 
the other group uh, that, that we argue about as well, no, they're just talking about Christians in general. Okay, and again, that has to do with whether or not you have this dispensationalist view. And then the third group as well, it has to do with everybody that's poor and needy. Okay, I'm going to tell you, there, there's a theologically right answer. Um, I think that I know what it is, but you know what? If I'm wrong, it's okay. But I want to tell you this, the, the, the issue with bickering about that, it's a lot like the Pharisee that comes to Jesus and says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he's like, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like it, love your neighbor like yourself. And, you know, he starts thinking, okay, all right, I can do that because I like my neighbor. My neighbor's a good guy, right? My neighbor lets me borrow eggs when I want to make cookies. My neighbor made me a cake when I was hurt, you know, whatever. So he starts thinking, you know, it's a lot like that question. We start asking, well, who's my neighbor, Right? When we start asking, well, who exactly are the least of these, the brothers and sisters that we're talking about? Listen to me. You're asking the way wrong question. The question you should be asking is those that are the least of these, how do I serve them so that I can be serving Jesus? Because that's really what this all comes down to. Look, this is what this is, right? Jesus, um, well, that's the one. He's telling you this. The point is that you need to love people. And you need to serve people where you can. You know why you need to love and serve people where you can? Because by loving and serving people where you can, you are loving and glorifying God. That's the point that Jesus is making. When did we do those things for you, Lord? Well, you know what? You did those things for me when you did them for these people that the world considers to be lesser. So when I do those things for people that the world considers to be lesser, I am glorifying God through my behavior. I am worshiping Christ through my behavior when I do those things. It's a reflection of the way that we love Jesus. There's something else that we have to deal with here real quick, and that is that some of you, um, when you read a passage like that, could get confused. I could get confused. We could get this. Uh, the issue is this. You look at it and you say, okay, Matt, let's, let's drill down on this for a second because uh, what you're saying is, that when I act a certain way, that God is going to be good with me, right? I mean, if we go back and we read this pretty carefully, it says, hey, Jesus is like, you guys acted in certain things. You did some things. You checked some things off your list. You fed people that were, that were hungry, right? You clothed people that needed clothing. You housed people that didn't have a place to live. You fed people. You visited sick people. You, you, you cared about the social issues in the world and you did something about it. Therefore, you guys are all good. You guys that didn't care about those things over here. So we look at a statement like that and we start to say, okay, now wait a minute. So, so what Jesus is really saying is that my behavior is the most important thing. And I can absolutely understand why you might think that when you read a passage like this, but I, I want you to understand something. No. It's not true. That's not really what he's saying. Um, I don't even know if this is a real expression. Does anybody, you just raise your hand if you say it or if you've heard it, if you've heard it from somebody besides me. The proof is in the pudding. Is that a real thing? What does that really mean? I'm not sure, except here's what I think it means, is that, is that the truth will have to work itself out in the end, right? That, that if I were to make something and I were to say, hey, this is the best recipe you've ever had, you're going to want to get in on this, don't sleep on this, have some, it's delicious, taste it, it's great, this is it, and you're going to be like, okay, great, is, have you ever, no, I've never tried it. 
I've never had any, you know, and no, listen, the proof is in the result. Okay. And so what we're seeing here is something different. This isn't, this isn't Jesus saying, look, you can have certain behavior and it's going to be all right. This is Jesus saying, look, when you are new in Christ, your behavior will necessarily look different. I need you to get that for a second, because I'm going to be quite honest with you. We live in a town. I'm sure that other towns are like this. I'm sure other places in the world are exactly like this. I can speak to two. I can speak to the Quad City area that I lived in, and I can speak to Vinton. Those are the only two places I've ever lived. And I can tell you that in those two places, for sure, and probably everywhere else, there are a great number of people who are sure that on that day of judgment that they're going to be all good. And I'm not so convinced. I'm just not convinced. The reason for that, I need you to hear me, the reason for that is because it is much more significant than some things that you've checked off your list. We talk about this all the time. Your baptism was great. Your confirmation, your communion, your dedication, your sinner's prayer, your time at the altar, whatever it was, it was great. It's good. There's nothing wrong about it. But listen to me. It does not save you. Your good works won't save you. This is similar. This, this separation right here is something that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. Remember, he says, look, in Matthew 7, he says, look, there will be a time when people will come to me and they will say, Lord, 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 didn't we do all this great stuff for you? And he'll say, get away from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. I don't know you. And so, we wrestle with this. We're like, but, but this tells me there's things I can do and I'm going to be good. And I'm going to say, absolutely not. There is nothing you can do to be good. You come to the cross with nothing to your credit. You come to the cross with nothing that will save you. You come to the cross with nothing that will make you right. However, if you really make it to the cross, if that's really true for you, this is a heart check time. You need to look at yourself in the mirror later, like metaphorically in the mirror. You need to look at yourself and you need to answer this question. Is this true for me? Have I come to the cross to receive what Jesus freely wants to give me? Because if I have, then the proof is in the pudding. If I have, then I will have fed the homeless and the hungry and I will have closed the naked and I will have bent over backwards to serve the least of these, the brothers and sisters that God has put in my purview. Why? Not because I'm a good person, but because I have a heart that says that's critical, because Christ gives me a new heart. Listen to me. If you want me to believe that you have come to the cross and you have found repentance in Jesus Christ and that he has saved your very soul and he has made you a new creation, but you have no heart for the people that are the least of these, then I'm going to ask you, look, are you saved? Are you not? That's above my pay grade. But I'm going to ask you to spend time thinking about this. Because what I read here in this little text in Matthew 25 tells me that I'm not sure you can have it both ways. 
I'm not sure that you can be disinterested in those that are the least of these and be a new creation. It's exactly what James is talking about when he says faith without works is dead faith. It's not real faith. It doesn't mean that you lose it or that it goes away. It means it was never real in the first place. It can't be. It is what it is, okay? Um, again, I, I'm not here to tell you what's what in, in your heart, but I'm here to tell you that, that God... Christ has provided us a check in our spirit that we are wired as believers. When we are made new in Christ, we are wired to care about and to want to pour out grace and blessing on the least of these. And so we get it. We say, okay, we're good. But then you ask me this question. You're like, okay, Matt, but what about the least of these that don't like me? What about the ones that hate me? What about the ones that would like to kill me? Well, I feel you. I get where you're coming from. Um, so does Jesus. You remember they hated him too. Um, they, 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 they tried to kill him too many times. Eventually they succeeded. Okay? He knew that. He understood what was happening. But yet, this is what he says. Here's what he says. Luke chapter 6. But to you who are willing to listen, uh, by the way, Christians, let's be willing to listen. We're not going to like what this says. We're going to hate it. That's cool. It's all right. Okay, sometimes the mark of a real disciple is obedience even when you don't want to. You've been there. I know you have. I mean, I'm going to be real blunt honest with you. I live there daily. There are times when I don't want to necessarily be obedient. <laughs> but that's, a, that, that's discipleship, right? That's growing in Christ-likeness is, is we do what God lays in front of us. Anyway, here's what he says. You are willing to listen. I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Listen to me. That's terrible, isn't it? I mean, that is terrible, but it's Jesus. It's one of the ways that I know for sure that the Bible was not just written by men. You ever wonder, you know, like, how do you know for sure that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God? You know how I know for sure the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit? Because what man, what woman would write that crap? You show me, you show me one human being who thinks that's a good idea. But God says, hey, you want to be countercultural? Hey, you want to make a difference? Hey, you want to be set apart, holy and blameless and spotless? You want a part in my kingdom? You want a new heart? Great. Then the proof is in the way you act. And oh, you know how you act? You love those that hate you. I mean, we have a hard enough time loving people that hurt our feelings. I mean, seriously. Think about how mad you got the last time somebody cut in front of you in traffic. I mean, you're here. 
Man, the mall is crowded. This is why we hate malls, right? And, and there's one spot, and I'm here with my signal on, and this guy just swerves in in front of me. I got to love that guy? This is what he says. He says, you, you win with love. We remember who the enemy is. The enemy is not those people. The enemy is the one um, that has a hold of them. And we win with love. We battle with love, right? They curse you. You know what? You want to fight back? Then fight back. But you want to know how to fight back? They curse you. You fight back with blessing. They abuse you. They mistreat you. You fight back with prayer for them. They strike you and hurt you. You fight back with restraining from vengeance. They steal from you. You know you fight back by giving freely what they haven't even asked for. They ask where they have no right to ask. You fight back with pouring out with generosity. This is, this is the call. This is what we deal with. And he continues. He says, look, if you love only those that love you, you don't get credit for that. You don't get credit for loving people that love you. It doesn't work, right? Even sinners love those who love them. You know, if you do good only to those who do good to you, you don't get credit for that. Sinners do that much, right? No, 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 no. That's not countercultural. That's not Christian. That's not Christ-like. That's normal. That's regular. But we're called to be more. Okay? Here's what he says. He finishes up. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then, why? Because your reward from heaven will be very great and you'll truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Listen to me. The proof is in the pudding. Do these things. Why? Not because God will say you did those things, therefore you must be a Christian, but because, because you are a Christian, right? You are truly acting like it. That's what that says. You are truly acting as children of God when you do these things. Church, act like the church. I mean, there's, <laughs> there is no call. I, I'm going to listen to me. And, and I'm, I'm not innocent in this by any stretch of the imagination, but there is no call for us to live in a city, a world for that matter. But let's just, let's just make it personal. There is no call for us to live in a city where there are people with no place to be. There is no call for us to live in a city where hate wins. There is no call for us to live in a community where we, where we return evil for evil. If this church is going to make a difference in this world, the proof is in the pudding. This is what he says. That's how he lays it out. And you're like, man, how do, how do I get involved politically? Well, you know, maybe we start with understanding that our policies have to be about those that are the least of these. You know what? Even when they're enemies, even when they hate you, even when people want to do harm against you, this is the biblical mandate. And you know what? Listen to me. And I'm not talking to any individual in here as much as I'm talking to a collective attitude of Christians in this culture. I'm tired of the yeah buts. 
I'm tired of the, I get eight out of 10 right and isn't that good enough. It's countercultural. Is what it is. So we get to questions, though. So here's, here's what we've done now throughout this series. We've answered these, or you've asked these questions. They've been good questions. Um, and, and what we've done is then we've looked at what Scripture has to say about an idea and how it might apply to then a policy or a question, um, something that we drill down on politically. And this is one that we kind of talked about in the first week of the series, um, but I'm, I'm guessing um, insufficiently because there were multiple questions that uh, people had about this after the fact as well. And the question is this, um, how are Christians supposed to think about Syrian refugees? How are Christians supposed to think about Syrian refugees? Um, And should we be allowing, this is just the blanket, other question is, should we um, be okay with allowing Muslims into the country? And if you listen to Christian leaders, they are all over the board on this one, right? You've got Christian leaders of places like World Vision and... uh, um, World Relief and Compassion International, um, very influential people that are telling you, you know what, this is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to reach out in faith, okay, and to go ahead and risk for the gospel and to make Jesus priority in our life and to do these things. And then you've got folks like Franklin Graham who are saying you can't let Muslims into the country. And so we, as our average run-of-the-mill Christian, are stuck wondering how in the world are we supposed to navigate what this says and what this is about. And I'm going to tell you here quickly um, that one of the problems that we have, and this is, we've talked about this before and this is the same thing, is that we get sure that our way of thinking is the only right way of thinking. That's a mistake. That's why I told you several weeks ago that you could be a Bible-believing, practicing, acting Christian and vote Republican, or you could be a Bible-believing, practicing, acting Christian and vote Democrat. Okay. The issue there is how you have the Bible and what Jesus and God clearly tell you informing your political behaviors. You might have different priorities than I do, different things. And so there are different ways to look at this. And I want to be clear with you. Again, this is not like Matt Hance has a word from the Lord on this and you must follow what I say or be in danger of being sinful. No. I told you what the word of the Lord is on the ways that we treat the least of these and we love our enemies. The word of the Lord says you do to other people the way you want them to do to you, okay? But you've asked this question, and I've promised to give you what I think is a biblical answer, and here's what it is. If my priority is to God, and if my role is to first be an ambassador of God's grace, and that is primary over my security, my safety, yes, even my family, then perhaps I need to seriously consider the fact that um, having refugees enter the country is not a tragedy, but perhaps it's an opportunity. Again, you can disagree with me. That's okay. We can still be friends. You might be able to look at Scripture and say, man, I I got a different way of understanding this. That's fine. Okay? But you asked... Here's here's what it is, okay? The Bible calls us to be on mission, and our mission is dangerous. And if we lived anywhere else in the world, we wouldn't have an issue with that. If we lived in any other country of the world, 
we would understand, well, I don't know about Canada. Let me rephrase. A lot of other countries in the world. We would understand that our mission is dangerous. Listen, we don't, we don't live here. Remember, you are stationed here. So I, I, I personally think when it comes to, to political policy that, that someone's um, faith is not a reason to, to necessarily figure how we treat the least of these. Um, now, do I think there should be restrictions? Sure. Do I think there should be safeguards in place? Absolutely. Do I think that there should be background checks and other things? Yes. And do I know that there's issues with those? Absolutely. Here's the thing. When you listen to some people like the folks from World Relief or the folks from um, you know, uh, World Vision and some of those places, the mistake they make is they try to convince you, look, it's not dangerous to have refugees come in. Listen to me. It's dangerous. I don't want to lie to you. It's dangerous. Should danger be our number one concern, though? I'm not convinced about that. And you say, but Matt, they're, they're, they're following a false god. They're following Satan. Yes, they are. And following Satan in no way, shape, or form will have you damned to an eternity in hell without God. And that's a prospect that we should shrink from. We should be terrified by that. We should never be okay with that. Okay. Another question. What about illegal immigrants? Uh, the question basically was this. As Christians, um, should we be supporting blanket amnesty for those... Man, what is it with you guys in these questions? I don't know who came up with this idea, but it was terrible. Um, it was a terrible idea. Uh, as Christians, should we be supporting blanket amnesty for those who are in the country illegally, or should we support blanket deportation uh, for those that are here illegally? And I'm just going to say this. It's my quick answer um, is no to both of those. Um, I think that a hard, fast rule is probably the wrong way to go. Um, I think there are things that we need to consider when it comes to least of these things that are biblical. Um, you know, for example... Uh, families where we have, um, where they've entered illegally but had children here that are then citizens. Um, is it really um, something that God would support for us to take those families and move them apart? Do we really have um, those of us that are willing and ready to foster and adopt children that are left behind because parents have gone and kids have stayed? Um, you know, what about those that, that entered the country when they were young? Um, most of which, if you really find out, don't realize that they're illegal until they go um, and apply for a job for the first time or apply to college or military service. But they've been here their whole lives. This is the language they speak, the culture they know, the place they are. Is it really caring for the least of these to say, no, you got to go? I don't know, I'm not sure that there's a right answer to that. Listen, and I certainly understand that people may feel differently, but what I would say is that the process, regardless of how we feel about this, look, it's best dealt with from a biblical perspective. It's best dealt with moving forward, not looking behind. That's how God deals with us. At the foot of the cross, the power of sin is broken, forgiveness is given, and he deals with us moving forward.
not looking backwards. I would see, by and large, this issue the same. But again, we can disagree and both be on biblical ground here. Lastly, here, here's, um, uh, uh, well, not la- uh, here, here's the question. I hate this one, too. Man, you guys are terrible um, asking these hard questions. How is a Christian supposed to address the Black Lives Matter movement? You got, y'all mad at me, weren't you? Is what that was. You're like, I know. Let's see Hans squirm a little bit. All right. But many of you, multiples of you, asked me this in person, and several of you put this question um, in the box. And so since we're all God's children, shouldn't we say that all lives matter isn't that appropriate? And so here's what I'll say to that. I'm going to say, before I answer this question, that one of the things that we need to do is we need to stop getting defensive. We need, we need to stop getting defensive. Mark Johnson shared, Mark and I, you know, Mark, of course, uh, one of our elders is, is a deputy um, sheriff. That's a thing, right? Yep, deputy sheriff. Um, and so I, I thought, well, if anybody has, as a good Christian man, the ability to speak to this issue, it's a guy that uh, is you know, an officer. He's a police officer. So, I mean, he, he would have more to say. And so he shared this with me, and I thought I would share it with you. Um, and here's what he says. He says, if you say blue lives matter, uh, you're not meaning the people who aren't police don't matter. It's just, like you, it's just that you feel like police were being unfairly targeted by a group of people. And then he adds this, which I think is just awesome, which means that you knew what black lives matters all along, so stop being a jerk. So that's the issue, right? It's like, it's like we have this, this aura of defensiveness. Somebody says, well, black lives matter. And we counter with, no, they all matter. Yeah, they do. But is that the issue? See, we're defensive. And as evangelicals, you know, when we look at this issue in our culture today, evangelicals, by and large, fall on the end that says we want to ignore this movement, there's something wrong about it, and it's because it has violent undertones. When violence happens under the name of a movement, we, we tend to think, well, the movement itself is wrong. It's probably unfair, right? We, we get really upset, I get really upset, when people under the banner of Christianity say and do things that are repulsive. I don't want them to speak for me. They do but I didn't give them permission to speak for me. And so we have to start to navigate this a little bit. I can tell you there's a couple things that we need to understand um, you know, when we get to this idea. One is we can acknowledge that in general, in this country, if you take an unbiased look at research and statistics, there's a systemic racial issue. There is no way around that. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, I mean, again, an unbiased look um, not the snippet you saw on Facebook, not the, the two-minute YouTube clip, but if you really take an unbiased look at what's happening in our country, there is a systemic racial issue that needs to be addressed. One, it just is what it is. Two, okay, perhaps it's not the most helpful thing in the world to counter someone who says, hey, pastors' lives matter by screaming from the other side of the room, yeah, well, what about um, rabbis? Perhaps that's not the best way for us to hear each other, okay? And so we need to maybe take a bead and not answer quite so quickly. I think I sent you out an, a, a link to an article a while back on this issue. We don't show up at the breast cancer awareness run and start screaming about diabetes, right? I mean, we know that diabetes is bad, but this focus right here happens to be on breast cancer and we can be okay with that. 
right? So when somebody says, hey, black lives matter, you know what? I can say this and I can say it with certainty that I am right when it comes to scripture, that I am absolutely drilled into what the word of God has to say. Yes, they do. And when somebody says, but Matt, don't all lives matter? I can say this with certainty, drilled into scripture. Absolutely. You know what? Yes. Yes, they do. What about blue lives? Like, sure. I mean, I guess Smurfs count too. (laughs) Yeah, they matter. Perhaps my issue shouldn't be correcting you that your opinion is wrong, but just affirming, yeah, you know what they do? They all do, right? But do I need to be quick to fix it? No. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to suggest that uh, we need to take a beat back on this issue again, and we need to affirm that yes, life matters. And part of what we have to do in this, honestly, is we have to stop being defensive, You know, let's just talk about things we've read in the news lately. When police act poorly, we need to acknowledge that police acted poorly. They're human. We give them grace, but we hold them accountable. When individuals in society act poorly, we acknowledge that individuals in society acted poorly. We give them grace, but we hold them accountable. We stop drawing up battle lines and we stop choosing sides. If we did that, we might find that we're in a better position. Last question I had was this. Should Christians ever sign a petition to have our U.S. president removed from office? As you know, he's said to be a Muslim and he doesn't honor Israel. He seems to hate Christians and he doesn't want to uphold our constitution. And here's what I'll tell you about that. Um, No. But maybe. There is a government process. There's a government process for uh, the removal of a president. And it's not doesn't have anything to do with their religious affiliation. Trust me, church, we don't, we, we, we don't want to go there. Okay, it doesn't have anything to do with whether they honor Israel. Those are issues we care about when it comes to election. Those are issues we care about when it comes to campaigning. And trust me, we care about them. In, in a democracy that we live in, those are not issues that we stamp our feet and say, well, um, you know, we have to fix it. And when it comes to upholding the Constitution, um, Unfortunately, in the world we live in, my view of the Constitution and someone else's view of the Constitution may be different, and that's why we have the Supreme Court. So I don't get to say that legally this person, no matter how irritated I am at him, legally the court says he did not act illegally, but I think he did, and so therefore I'm going to work to have him removed. That's not how a democracy works. When we have illegal activity, absolutely, we should move in accordance with the law. This is why the political process is important. This is why voting is important. Because those justices that define whether or not something is right or wrong or legal or not, from a a political standpoint, are appointed by the commander-in-chief. That's why those things are important. This is why we've taken the time over the course of this series to break this down and to talk about when it comes to political policy that we support, when it comes to justices that we want to see promoted and voted for. You know, when it comes to these things, yes, I'm voting for the lesser of two evils. I'm always voting for the lesser of two evils. I'm always voting for the lesser of two evils because none of them are Jesus. And my issue is, how do I want to see this play out? These are things that we navigate. It's not easy. And again, we will not agree and we will not see eye to eye on all of these things. Our list of biblical priorities may not be the same 
You know, we've talked time and time again. You know, on my list of biblical priorities, um, it, it comes down to, you know, this issue of caring for and loving the least of these is at the top of my list. And unfortunately, sometimes I feel like my candidates, my options are split, but abortion always tends to be at the top of my list as at least of these issue. You, you may agree that that's true, but you may have other things that are at the top of your list. We can agree to disagree on this, but listen to me. I'm going to tell you one more thing as we ask the praise team to come up. We'll prepare to close this out. Simply this. Listen, I will remind you that I don't care who you vote for. I mean, I really don't care who you vote for. What I do care, what I care about, is that you can honestly say that Jesus Christ and the Word of God and my desire to follow God and my desire to be obedient to God has absolutely influenced my decision and the way that I've chosen to vote. It's just, it is what it is, okay? And maybe that makes the choice clear for you. Maybe it challenges your choice. Whatever it is, though, that's what you need to be able to say because God cares about that. But I'm going to tell you this. You get your guy, it's still going to be messy. You get your girl, it's still going to be messy. I don't care who's elected, we've got work to do. You don't despair, you don't panic, you don't freak out on me. And as we sing this last song, I need you to remember this. In everything, in all things, grace rules the day. These are the words from the last verse of the song we're going to sing. We've talked about this before during this series, actually. This is my Father's world. Let's never, ever forget that although the world will so often seem broken and wrong and ridiculous, God is absolutely the ruler yet. I don't care. It is what it is. This is our Father's world, and the battle is not done. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, you are good. Even in the midst of all this suffering and questions and pain and confusion uh, and people that are struggling, um, we, we can stand here and be on solid ground when we say, God, you are good. Because you know what? You have worked to meet our needs. Our biggest, most important need was met in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And grace is a gift that you give to those that will follow. And Father, you've met our other needs too. And you've met them through the church. Salt for a decaying world. Light for a world that's stuck in darkness. Father, I pray that you will empower us and you'll help us to not just talk the talk, but, but to walk it. Father, that we'll understand that the proof is in the pudding. God, empower us to be about your work. Strengthen us with your Holy Spirit. Point us in the direction that you'd have us and put us in motion. God, we love you and we praise you and we just ask you for more and more and more. Amen.